Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Eric and I aren't just podcasters. And bitches. That's right. We're also authors. And you can buy all of our books at www.thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv and wherever ebooks are sold. At thedinnerpartyshow.com or tdps.tv, you can check out my Right Murder mystery series. Or sample my Burning Girl thrillers. The best part is, the more you buy our books, the less likely we'll end up filling the spot with an annoying ad for a napkin that counts your calories. The TDPS Network, alienating potential advertisers one promo at a time. Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you're listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. I swear to God, I am I'm so impressed with us. We do we do the best. And you just hit your pop filter with those glasses. That's you right. are popping those glasses just off to, like you were about to, to say a know. thing. And well, then, they make me look old. <laughs> and that's the topic of today's episode. I, I actually think it's the fact that I'm 61 that makes me look old. I don't think it's the glasses. but Yeah. But maybe... I said to Eric before we started rolling, are we really going to do an entire episode about our birthdays? Okay, so we're doing the thing. We're doing the thing where we do True Crime TV Club it's one week. It's your birthday. It's your birthday. I don't... What is that? I, flood and famine everywhere. People living in despair. It's your birthday. What is that from? That's Greg Torrey sings that to me. Every year at my birthday. Your friend to. Greg Torrey. He's not a famous songwriter who wrote that song. No, he's I he what up until just a minute ago, I think he was the commissioner of commerce for the state of Georgia. Go he used him. To be the head director of the film commission there, and then I think he was I don't know, something some other big deal at, at in the state of Georgia. And uh and then he wasn't anymore. Now he's a man a lady of leisure. A lady of leisure, okay. Back to the point. He's even older than I am. Back to the point, which I'm saying with a big hand gesture, hand gesture that you can't see because this is it, a podcast. It really doesn't add anything, so you're not missing much. We, Eric and I are not only best friends and co-hosts of this show, uh, We sh- our birthday is only several days apart, and but then many, 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 many years apart, like many years, like so many years apart. That it's hard to keep track, but it's just several days apart when it comes to the days of the week, right? Isn't that right, Eric? Eric? Eric, are yeah, you that's, leaving? That's, that's where you're going with it? I don't know, yeah. No. It's going to be that kind of show. It's gonna. It's the anxiety about getting older show, which, of course, you don't have. I really don't. You really don't, because inside you're 13. You're right? I really think it's articulate a choice. I honestly think that age is a choice. I really... Tell me what you mean by that. I really think that I... It's the only thing I can account for. Like, I see other people on the news that are my age or on television or whatever and that are my age and they're dour and old and scowling and I – and then they'll say how old they are, and I think, oh my God, I'm I'm three years older than he is, or whatever. Who did we just do this with the other day? You found out somebody's actual age, and we were both on Lev the floor. Lev Parnas. Lev Parnas is how old? Like 47. Lev Parnas, you've seen Lev Parnas's picture. If you follow politics at all, he's the fulcrum on which Ukraine gate turns. He is 47 years yeah. old. I was like, and I would have guessed he was probably about five years older than me. Right. Like, and, you know, like, whatever. I just think that I have never had any interest in being an old man. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not. Mm -hmm. Like, it's not a question of that I'm not chronologically. I mean, I can look at the calendar and my birth certificate. I, you know, I can almost do the math. (laughs) No, yeah, no. Math is not our strong suit here at Christopher and Eric, no. Kind of do the math. But, you know, like it isn't like a mystery of what the actual numbers are. But I don't feel like somebody who was the superintendent of schools when I was in high school. You know what I mean? I think of who in my lifetime were people my age. And I just don't feel any commonality. You know, I'm as... Yeah, as you say, I'm as irresponsible of Liberty Gibbet as I ever was. I'm not sure I phrase it exactly like but that. But you know what I mean. It, it, there was a, I don't have the same sort of, I don't know, focus, energy, center. I'm not sure quite how to put it. I found a way of being how I wanted to be around the time that I was 16 
And that was sort of it for me. I was like, yeah, this works for Tell me. Tell us what that means. What do you mean? Well, so at 16, you find the way that you want to be. I, I mean, was, what were the 16, circumstances? I was, um, I, we were doing, It was. I was in acting class. We were doing um, Thornton Wilder's Our Town. Mm-hmm. And uh, that speech that Emily makes where she says goodbye to everything. They, she's given the opportunity after death to come back to life for a day mm-hmm. on her birthday, I think. In keeping with the birthday episode theme. We're, we're back I think to the that's topic. Right, but yeah. I, I don't know if that's true. Um, but Thornton's dead, so he'll never, he's not going to call in and complain. Anyway, um, <clears throat> in the process of having that day, she realizes that people don't look at each other, that they don't take the time to be in the moment that they're in mm. while they're alive. And it's too painful for her now that she's dead. She doesn't get to go live in the world presently. She gets to go and live in moments that have already happened. Mm, mm-hmm. And so she goes back and does several of her favorite moments as she remembers them. And she realizes that nobody was present mm. for doing it. And it's a, it's a big, it's a wonderful speech. It's really a moving, really sort of, you know, show-stopping, tear-jerking kind of um, monologue. Mm-hmm. Um, she said, you know, goodbye. She says goodbye to this whole list of things that she loved about her life. And in the process of seeing that or witnessing it or reading it or discussing it in class, I can't even remember specifically what, it just occurred to me that that was the thing, mm-hmm. that it was about being present in the moment that you were actually in mm-hmm. that mattered, that that was the thing and that that everything that caused me unhappiness in my life was what took me out of that moment. Mm-hmm. And so that the the point of it was to be present in the moment that I was actually in. And in order to be present in the moment you were actually in, you had to be true to yourself, right? Is that, I'm trying to connect well, it's the It's about two. being true to yourself. It's about being truthful. Okay. Like uh, it's about being right. honest. It's about not living in regret. It's about not living in fear. It's about not living in doubt. It's about not allowing illusions about the moment that you're in to overwhelm you and take you out of the moment. Mm-hmm. And and so, you know, I don't know that I prof- I've profoundly got all of that right in that moment. But I remember it was the first time I ever said the thing that I always say about. Uh, Live in the moment, not in anticipation of the future, nor in lament of the past, but for now, because that's all there really is. I was 16 years old when I came up with that. And it it has sort of been the thing that I live by. And I think it's the thing like I'm not about – I'm about being in this moment. I'm not about – when this moment occurs chronologically compared to the moment that I was born or mm-hmm. I'm going to die or anything else. I'm just here. Mm-hmm. And I think that has given me a sort of ageless quality. It's less childish and more ageless because, you know, God knows I'm the dowager empress of West Columbia, you know, <laughs> like I'm more akin to uh, what, what's her, Lady Grantham. Mm-hmm. Um, then. Than most, I, I'm certainly not this pushover or the most easygoing or whatever. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. but I am very much about being present, and I, I think that I I don't know that, but I think that is probably the difference. Like I'm not focused on finding the right rocking chair to wait out the grim reaper. I'm focused on what's happening today and mm-hmm. tomorrow. We'll see. Tomorrow isn't guaranteed anyway, so. Later this afternoon is not guaranteed. How are you capable of letting go of all regret in that construct? That's the thing that you said that all because that I will have moments of regret that are paralyzing. They're like split second. I'll be walking down the street. I'll remember a situation in which I was embarrassed or disappointed, mostly embarrassed. And it will come over. It will literally seize me for about 30 seconds. I might even stop walking, catch my breath. And then I do what the meditation teachers call the magic moment, where you bring yourself back, right? You recognize that yeah. you've been caught up, and, and then you bring yourself back. You know, back. I'm not a spiritual giant or right. anything. I'm sure there's you still a you you of have that. moments like those, but you're able to bring yourself back. Or I'm very few, but it does happen. And I think like there's the Dinah Washington song. You know, what difference will it make a hundred years from now? Like right. I try and see myself. Like I think 
underlying my ability to achieve those spiritual things is the fact that I don't take much seriously. There isn't much in life that's serious. Mm. And I think that a great deal of what's wrong with modern life is that we take a lot of stuff really seriously that I'm like, I'm not sure really warrants What it. is serious in your opinion, in, in, in you know, looking at life through these eyes that you use? What is serious? Um, compassion, mm-hmm. uh, equanimity, um, honesty, um, caring about other people, being you know, showing up for other people, helping the world to be better than mm-hmm. than it is, doing whatever you can to make the world better. Like, like I certainly like um, climate change is a huge problem. Mm-hmm. And if I were to focus on how I was going to fix climate change, I would be overwhelmed. Right. But there are things I can do mm-hmm. that are about me not contributing as much to the problem. And so that's what I focus on because that's where it is. But I do focus on it seriously. It's funny because when I your answer is obviously perfectly valid. But when I asked the question, what I realized I was really asking without realizing it was what is worth getting upset about? Like what crosses your field of view and is, okay, that's worth getting angry about or that's worth really getting, you know, teared up over, you know? Yeah. Well, we started with regret. Yeah. And regret is in the past. Mm-hmm. So that's over. Right. So like, why not bring back the good times if you're just bringing shit back? Right. Like, as long as you're just making this up, that's about making something up. To well, feel it's also, bad about. let me jump in for a second because I think it's also about building a false narrative that I do not have what I want today because of this one moment I feel bad about in the past. If this moment had done different, like the sliding doors thing, everything would have been different and I would have absolutely everything I want right now today if I hadn't fucked up that thing. And that's 10 about years saying ago. there's something wrong with the moment that I'm actually right. in. Yeah. And that's again why you can see that would be problematic. But I like, think that's a revolutionary concept for some people because they, they they don't look to the judgments of the current moment as you're describing. They don't say the problem is not that you don't have everything on your list, which is something you say to me often. The problem is that you have a list. Right. You know? As as Hillary Clinton would say, what difference does it make? Right. You know, like this is still the moment that you're in. Right. Is it the one you would have picked? Well, you know, fuck no. I'd be king of the world and living in my palace in the sky and mm-hmm. waited on hand and foot and richer than, you know, than Jeff Bezos and whatever, married to Henry Cavill. I don't know what it would be, but it would, you know, mm-hmm. like, yeah. but it's not. So should I be miserable because it's not those things? That just seems stupid to me. I think, and I don't mean for this to sound inordinately pretentious, but I think that creative people... And artists in general have a leg up on this particular question because we are in the habit of creating a thing that is never as good as our initial vision for the thing. It's like it's almost like we get to ride in, in God's seat. Like the book when it's done is is something I'm proud of, but it's never as perfect as I envisioned it from before I put the first word on the page. Painters say the same thing. Unless their painting goes wrong, it will never go right, is what my father used to say of his artwork. We're in the habit of that constant um, gap that exists in between our expectations and our reality. We're in the habit of almost practicing something around that in terms of our output where um, that doesn't come as much of a shock to us when it happens in our everyday life. That, of course, it's never going to be what we expect. It's never going to be exactly what we dreamed for or hoped for. But I worry that, and this is maybe me getting older or me looking at social media and media in general and advertising in a certain way, I worry that there is an increasing messaging going on around out there that if you do complain loud enough you can have the perfect life it's well, somebody else and you can't no it's somebody else's fault that your life is not perfect i think this is what drives donald trump an elite has taken away what you deserve and what you're entitled to and until i beat them into submission you can't be happy you know like it's a, it's what i hear when i listen to him and there are other versions of that the, on the left side of the but spectrum but the concept too. that needs to be discarded in all of that both as the artist and as Donald Trump and everybody else in that particular configuration, is the concept of perfection. Right. 
that is a non-existent thing. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. it is a it is subjective at best, and it is not something that exists. And who says? Right. Who says that the book that you wrote isn't absolutely perfect? Right. That it's not exactly the way it's supposed to be. Who says that? Like right. why not? Like otherwise, you're just once again making up a reason not to be happy with what actually happened. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just crazy to me. I just think that. To, other people are free to make whatever choices they want to, but for me, mm. I'm just I don't participate in that. Right. Rene Descartes found the existence of God in perfection. Our ability to conceive of something that was not attainable, that was not knowable, that was not even mm-hmm. identifiable, was what Rene, Rene saw as God. Mm-hmm. That was God. Our uh, concept, whatever God was. It was in that conception of perfection. Right. We couldn't do it, yet we could conceive of it. So there it was there. But like, okay, well, I'm not God, so off the hook for that. Mm-hmm. I don't have to judge my every work, my every painting, my every book, my every thought, my every action against God. <laughs> Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. Do you have a question or comment about this podcast? Then come share it with us on our Facebook page at facebook.com slash the dinner party show, no spaces, and we'll do our best to answer it on the show. Just watch out for our aggrieved manservant, Shea Butters. He moderates the page and he's been known to talk smack about the two of us. Most of what he says about you is true, though. We can discuss this later. That's right, at Facebook.com slash The Dinner Party Show. No, I meant in the car. So if you abandon this idea of perfection, as I think you have done successfully... You can also abandon any well, expectations ab- of where you should be at a certain age. I've abandoned judging myself based on this completely theoretical and almost theological notion of perfection. Of perfection. Okay. But do you think an outgrowth of that is that you have then been able to abandon all notions of where you should be at the age of 61? I don't have any concept of what yeah. where I should be at the age of 61. I don't see myself... On a continuum. Mm -hmm. Like, it's like, I've been through periods of great unhappiness in my life. This, you know, has evolved over time. 29 was probably the worst. Why? Because I was going to be 30 the next year, and I didn't already have a husband, a house in the hills, an Academy Award. You know, Mm -hmm. the list that we were talking about earlier. I didn't have all the things on that list that I made when I was... I don't know how much younger. Right. You know, and it really got to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it was because I was judging my life against that list. And the only problem was the list, not my life. My life was fine. Mm-hmm. You know, and that that's been a you know, that's been a learning curve mm-hmm. over time. Like I say, I'm not a spiritual giant. I've had my own process in and around all of this. You know, that was where the four or five rules for happiness came from. And that, what are they? That time period. Never lie, never doubt. We were talking about it earlier. Never regret. Never yeah, but anticipate. I don't think you did all five. That's why I was asking you to go through them again. Never lie, never doubt, never anticipate. Um, never regret. Never regret. Yeah, that was And the then the one fifth one about. is live in the moment, only in anticipation. Moment, yeah. Not anticipation. It's really all, they're all really that rule. They really mm-hmm. go back to that thing that I wrote when I was 16. It's really still the same um, the same notion, and it's a it is about getting away from judging my life against a set of arbitrary standards so I can be unhappy. It's about manufacturing unhappiness. Mm-hmm. Like happiness is a decision. Mm-hmm. Like it's like I'm gonna have bacon and eggs for breakfast and I'm going to be happy. I'm going mm-hmm. to enjoy the life that I'm actually having today because that's all happiness really is is enjoying the life that you're actually having. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if you're not, then you're not happy. And that's, but that's a choice. It isn't something that's being thrust upon you. Bad stuff happens. You right. Know, somebody close to you is killed or dies or whatever, or there's a plague or you're sick or, you know, like, mm-hmm. my God, certainly bad stuff happens in life. And there's no, like, I'm not, I wouldn't expect to be cheerful about right. those sorts of things. And, 
we have to deal with those tragedies in life, but they are few and far between, particularly in our lives in this country. Mm-hmm. Like we live better than any king of any country has ever lived mm-hmm. in all of history. Louis the Fourteenth would kill to live like a middle class American right. today. Yeah, flush toilets, hot water, electricity. Penicillin, you know, the mm-hmm. list goes on and internet on. Internet porn, internet. Absolutely. Don't forget oh internet yes. porn. No, can't it's forget that. Us, keeping all of us sane, particularly around the, the valley. Although that may be the one that he would miss the least. Yeah, maybe so. Because he, he could was, probably have live action yeah, he porn. He could have live wanted. action porn. He doesn't need internet porn. Although you can have webcaming now. I'm sorry. It was just getting so deep. I, I had to shit on it a little bit. But I, I want to stay deep. But yes, absolutely. I think that. Um, there is a tendency, something that I wrestled with, particularly in my younger years, was this idea to make myself appear as if bad stuff was happening to me or draw bad stuff to me so that I could get sympathy and attention. Drawing the foul. Drawing the foul, exactly. And I um, don't know why I thought that was necessary. It didn't really work. Oh, but sympathy, like it's like boohoo, we all, it's from Madeline. Yeah. We teach it to kids right along. Boo hoo hoo. We want our appendix out too. Did you ever read Madeline? No, I didn't read Madeline. Madeline. She's not the one in the hotel, right? Two, no, that's, that's Eloise. Eloise. And two, Eloise and Madeline got into a big street fight later in life and like I one don't maimed know the that. other. Yeah, that, that's what no, that's it, it happened. That's a story I haven't it heard. Happened, but yeah. Madeline and is lives in a house with twelve little girls in two straight lines. Boo hoo. I lines. want my appendix and out. And she too. has appendicitis and she has to get her appendix out. So she gets to sleep in her own room. She gets presents, she gets flowers and whatever. And then all the other little girls in the orphanage or wherever they mm-hmm. girls' school or whatever it is. Right. Want their appendix out too because that looks great to them. Mm-hmm. Like it it's kind of I think the lesson is supposed to be you don't really want a bad thing to happen to you. This may appear to be a good thing, but Really, she had appendicitis and kind yes. of died because that was a long time ago, and it was probably dicier to have appendicitis mm-hmm. back in those days. It's still d- dicey if you don't get to the hospital yeah, right quick. It can yeah, be, it can be a bad thing. Anyway, uh, the, but yeah, I think that we have that that notion that being Oliver Twist is a better thing to be than the happy little kid who's enjoying his life because then great things will be given to us to make mm-hmm. us feel better. Yeah. I. I think it's a crazy notion, and you know, I certainly want us to reach out to those less fortunate than ourselves, but we should feel good for that too. I am turning 42, and I am noticing for the first time as I look around me, for the first time in my life, I have a lot of friends who are actually contemporaries. We've been friends forever, but jokes aside, there is a, an age gap between yeah. us. The friends that I have that are contemporaries, their children are grown their children are leaving the nest Mm -hmm. and that has at times messed with my head a little bit because the worst thing that can happen to you as you age is you decide time's up on fill in the blank time's up this is never going to happen the window has closed this moment has passed you talk about realizing you would never play the artful dodger because you were a community theater guy and you had dreamed of playing the artful dodger and you got to a certain age where you realize okay i'm never going to play the artful dodger a community theater guy. <laughs> you were an actor. <laughs> wow. I was a community theater guy. Yeah, it's, I don't think it's an insult. I like community theater. Yeah, that's a different... Yeah. Okay, all right. You were a repertory theater. You were an I actor. I was an actor. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so... I was still in college at the point that that happened. Okay, but I think the thing is, is that... But yeah, I mean, I think there are certain things that you have to become aware of. You're never going to be 13 years old again, but I get to be where I am now. Well, and the thing that I'm realizing is that you run that game on yourself falsely. Like you say, this is over, and I think underneath it is, I want this to be over because I'm sick of trying. You know, like, I'm in a weird place. I am getting to a point, like, I love my friends, but if I'm interrogated, and this may be the wrong thing to say because it feels like an interrogation because of what it brings up in me, but I am single, and I have been single for a while, and I would say for the past few years, I have been single by choice. I have not really aggressively or actively dated. Yes, there comes a point in life when the good news is... I'm not in a terrible relationship. I'm not in any relationship, but I'm not in a terrible one. And that's kind of great. And it is great. And I wish that there were more people in my life who could not see that as as a handicap 
or a loss. I think that if you are fulfilled and you really need to be in a romantic relationship to feel complete, more power to you. And I think you should, you were justified to do whatever you, you needed to do within reason to meet someone. But um, as we talked about recently, I don't know if I've ever been in love with anyone. You know, with romantic love, I've I've tried. I've cultivated relationships. I've I I lived with someone for several years. All these sort of things, but I've never. I don't know if I've ever really truly fallen in love with someone, and I have yet yet, and I have tried to see that as fate, and beyond my control, and um, something that will either come or doesn't. <laughs> Forgive the phrasing there for a second. Well, I you, it's a yeah. very dramatic. It's a Christopher Rice very dramatic well, assessment yeah. of of something. It's the you know like the legend of how you got a cold. Like right. you you there is a sense of like I think that the people I don't think anybody sees you as incomplete, mm-hmm. and I don't think anybody who cares about you know like I don't yeah. think that's I think that people want for you to have something that they love about their own life. Right, yeah. And I think they wish that for you because they love you and want you to have this thing that they love having. Mm-hmm. I don't think that they see you as incomplete or Right, and or it's broken. my thing that I go, that's where I immediately go. It's not a criticism. Because when somebody says, you're so, and they don't always say this, but when they say something along the lines of, you're so great, why don't you have someone? Well, what I think they're saying is, you're so great, do you have a basement full of human prisoners that I don't know about that's disqualifying you in this area? Did you kill all the last candidates? You know? On the plus side, in a few years, they'll stop saying <laughs> And then you'll be like, wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, nobody says that to me anymore. Mm. Mm. It doesn't happen. Like, I don't rule out the possibility, mm-hmm. but they do, it does fade away. Yeah. It does. People do stop. Well, maybe that's why I'm being particularly deluged with it now because the window is about to close <laughs> to get back to but, my earlier but I thinking. Mean, and that's the thing that, I, that I'm saying is that there is no window. Yeah. So not only is the window not getting ready to close, but there isn't a window. Mm-hmm. That's just absurd. That's just yeah. wrong. Right. And so you don't have to deal with that. Like it's about it. It is all of those things that I was talking about initially about staying out of because once again you're saying there's something wrong with the moment mm-hmm. that I am in because it is not possessed of this this thing mm-hmm. or that thing. It doesn't have pudding in it. You know, like. But and I think there's. There's no clock on it because I never had an overwhelming desire to have children. And so I was always of the mind, and I still am, that if I meet somebody that I'm truly in love with and they would like to do it, I will jo- I will partner with them and I will have kids. I would love – the idea of having a kid is is appealing in many ways, but I don't have this, like, hunger in me to do it. So there's no – there's no surrogate's biological it, clock do, ticking. Do what I did. Write a book about it. Get right, it out of right. Your you wrote Say Uncle, and well, it was about what you would do if you were raising a child. Because and, I was at that point in life yeah. of, of realizing that as a gay person, I probably wouldn't. Mm-hmm. And so, like, what would it be like? And so right. that's how I sort of exercised that process. And at this point, yeah, it would, I would do it if I had a partner and they were willing to do all of the diapers and all of yes. the child chasing and all of like I think they're adorable at Christmas mm-hmm. you know and the rest of the time like I'm just I'm yeah. not sure that I have the energy to expend on that particular outcome at this right. point love kids I think they're adorable and wonderful they're crazy about me but the thing that came I bet they are because you're like a giant brilliant child <laughs> um, giant in comparison to a child not yes, a giant I know. person I know what you mean I think I'm actually not that big the thing that came up when we started talking as you were describing was is part of not having a connection to a concept of what this age is supposed to be about being kind of liberated from what other people's ages are like I don't have children getting older before my eyes that are drawing my old age to my attention I don't have I'm not suddenly the parent of a child who's gone off to college I'm not whatever I mean there are things that don't quite work the way they used to the passage of time is affected by those we do understand ourselves in perspective to other things and yeah I can see how the Peter Panism of being gay men our age, you know, mm-hmm. and, and who only just recently have been allowed to be, you know, partial citizens of the country in which we've always lived um, and participate in those rites of passage, mm-hmm. 
you know, that that most people are, like as you say, married and watching a partner right. age, seeing the children get older. Yeah, my friends have grandchildren now. Yeah. In fact, their grandchildren are probably starting to get I know. to know. It's like, what but a, yeah. yeah. It's, it's, it is, it startles me. Like, mm-hmm. I don't see, because I don't look at it from that perspective. And I don't know if it's from a lack of, mm-hmm. of compa- you know, like I'm not lashed to anything as it goes along. So much, it, so much as it's about a lack of judgment. Yeah. Because all of those other things are about adjudicating the appropriate place to be at what time in your life. I think so long as you stop wearing Lycra after you're 30, <laughs> I think you're good. Is that just for gay men? Spandex is that, yeah. after, I think everybody else has yeah. already got that. I think yeah. gay men are the last holdout. We're hanging on in on the Lycra. Yeah, yeah. like 50-year-old men in spandex well, at the you know, and this are was like, really, dude? Really? This was the thing that was always said to me was when I was new and newly out of the closet and, and younger, our elders all died. Our gay elders. They were all killed by AIDS. They weren't. You're sitting right here and you would be in that generation people yeah, were referring to. a lot of us did. But a lot of them were. And a lot of the people who were going to be the first out gay community aging did not get the opportunity to model that process for the rest of us who were coming up behind them. And members of your generation have a lot of feelings about that. I mean, you talk about, well, how many funerals did you have to go to? I mean, all of your friends from New York are gone. Yeah. You know? But that became, for some of us, kind of an excuse. I mean, it dovetailed with this idea that you often heard was, well, gays didn't get to have a youth, so we're going to act like teenagers until we're 70 years old if we want to. And I think there's a side of that that's actually when it applies to certain things like frivolity and celebration and all those sort of things that it's actually very good. And I think it's something you know? that people look to the, the community for. And I think that a lot of that has more to do with the lack, as we were talking of, of rites of passage. Mm-hmm. Like if you don't get, if you if you don't hit the marks as you're going along the way, if you stop um, at an early age, then how are you going to act like an older person if there's nothing, you know, if there's no other next goal to shoot right. for? Hi, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And Christopher and Eric is a production of the TDPS Network, which Mm. you can support by visiting thedinnerpartyshow.com or www.tdps.tv. And by clicking on the gold Amazon box at the bottom right-hand corner of the homepage, you'll ensure a portion of your subsequent Amazon purchases supports podcasts like this one. The same is true if you use any of the buy links on our website as well. And thedinnerpartyshow.com and tdps.tv is also where you can find all the episodes of our other podcast, The Dinner Party Show, which is full of celebrity interviews and sketch comedy that's gotten us banned in 20 states. That's not true. A man can dream. All right. Well, let's dream of everyone supporting our website. That way we can avoid putting an ad in this spot for a crowdsourced skin surgery app. For gay people until recently... There was no going steady, getting mm-hmm. penned, getting engaged, right. getting married, having children, buying a house. Maybe you want to buy the house before you have the kids. I don't know how that works. But, you know, none of those things happened. We had a certain level of maturation, you know, productive orgasm mm-hmm. and yeah. um, and visual stimulation for that. It was it was more fun if there was a picture of a Playboy, but I guess it would be a Falcon model. But, yes, you know, it would be a never, Falcon model. But we never progressed. There was nothing after that for us. There was no other rite of passage right. after that. Right. So everything else was either artificially chosen or just completely non-existent. And so, yeah, it was what I was talking about earlier. It has kept us in a sort of Peter Pan kind of mode. And I don't know if we're not looking at generations of younger gay people who are not going to participate in that, who are going to, I hope, they're going to go steady and get pinned and get their heart broken and get engaged Mm -hmm. and get married and buy a house and have kids and do all of the things that, you know, that are the rites of passage of growing and experiencing life 
um, in a full way. I, I don't think that my life is incomplete, and I don't think there's something wrong with my life. But those options just simply weren't open to me. Yeah, no, they weren't. They they weren't to me either. It I feel like I'm like one of the last. Like the cutoff was right after me. Like the idea of there being a gay straight alliance in a high school when I was senior in high school. That's that was just at, beyond the pale. That was people would have laughed in your face just, anywhere, any school, anywhere. And then it was like right after me. I remember when a density of souls came out. I was meeting young men who were in them in their high schools, and I had, I was, I don't know, 23, 22, 23 at that point, and the idea just blew my mind. I thought they were so brave. I thought it was yeah. going to kill these Going kids. to the prom with yeah. somebody who's the same sex? Oh, I, my God. I just think that's wonderful yeah. and almost incomprehensible. Like, yeah. it's just, it wasn't on, in, on offer. Yeah. It wasn't even a possibility. No. So I think you're right. I think it is changing, and I think that these rites of I'm passage are available. And I think they will be different people by the time they reach our ages. I don't you know, know I really that it do. will be that I don't know that they will be dealing with the same things, but I hope I hope that they will keep the notion of the agelessness. Um, I hope that everybody can. You know, I hope that that can be more a thing. I hope that people can find a way to enjoy their lives more. Mm-hmm. I just think that that's like, why wouldn't you? I think this is a very different conversation for women. Because of their connection to their bodies and because of the way their bodies are programmed, women are faced with the fact that after a certain age, they can no longer bear children. That's a hard fact. It arrives for them. And I don't know if men can, I don't know if we sitting here can really accept what that means for them and the gravity of that. Uh, You know, and it's, again, it comes down to their personal decisions and their relationship to whether they want to be bearing children at all. But I think, wow, that is really a benchmark that, in their lives that, that I'm not, I'm not sure there's a male equivalent, you know, like if well, there it, isn't, yeah, like I just, there, there, there isn't a way for us to understand that because it's a completely different way of experiencing life. Yeah. But I think that all of the changes that happen to us over the continuum of life, men or women are just the next thing that happens. Right. Like puberty was at its onset, embarrassing and awkward and, my skin broke out. And I mean, there was upsides and downsides, but overall, right. you know, that was a great thing. So when we move on to the next phase, whatever that means, you know, when we move past the childbearing years mm-hmm. or the fathering children years or whatever it is, that's just the next thing. Mm-hmm. It isn't qualitatively worse or better than the thing before it. It's just the next thing. It's the process of having this experience of being alive. Mm-hmm. And again, I think it's about judging. Right. You know, if I haven't arrived at this place, whoever I am, man or woman, and and ticked these boxes on this list, then there is something wrong with me or with my life. And I think that's really self-destructive. Mm-hmm. I think that is not, I can't see how it can be helpful. And it flies in the face of reality. Right. Like, this is still your life. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I guess it's like the, the somebody suggested to me once, what advice would you give a friend, right? right? If a friend came to you with the thing that you're saying, you know, would you tell them, well, so if you haven't accomplished those things by the time you're your age, I think you should just be miserable. Would you say that to somebody? Mm-hmm. You know, you never would. Why would you say it to yourself? Right. That, you know, that sort of notion. And I think, th- I hope that transcends sex or gender or any of those, you know, like however you want to describe those delineations, it is about accepting and enjoying the life that you're actually having Mm -hmm. for whoever and in whatever moment that you're actually in, Mm -hmm. you know, with the obvious exceptions. If you're in enormous physical pain or living in a prison camp, you know, like I still think even then... You want to do the best that you can with the circumstances that you're subjected to because we all have to live with whatever we're being subjected to. And that's not, and I think this is an important distinction, that is not just whistling a happy tune and pretending it's not happening. You actually have to accept the circumstances to do the best that you can with them. With whatever the circumstance is. Because I think people hear that and they think, what are you just telling me to sit on a cloud and meditate and pretend none of this bad shit is happening? No. You have to look at what you can actually change about it and what you can't. It's like when Valerie Harper got brain cancer. Right. Right? Do you remember? She didn't like... No. So she 
made an effort to really live the life that she had left. Right. It didn't last forever, and she did. It did ultimately take her, but she didn't turn into. She wasn't uncheerful about it. She right. wasn't un. You know, she wasn't like woohoo! I've got brain cancer. But she was. She made the best of the life that she had, mm-hmm. even after the diagnosis came. Because we're all going. Right. Like it's it. It's not like it's this completely, oh, no, this has never happened to anyone else before, really. No, that's not true. Well, I feel like I've opened up our listeners' ears to all the brilliance that you have shared with me over the years about aging, but there's one thing that you said that I think has made this process easier than more than any other thing you've said to me, which is we don't regret the things that we don't obtain. We regret the things we don't try for. And you never have to stop trying. Yeah. Like... If I'm never going to win an Academy Award, I'll never know. Because you'll be dead. Because I'll be dead. Yeah. Because I don't have to quit trying. Yeah. Between now and then. And mm-hmm. it, and so it remains a possibility. Right. And I'm not holding out the Academy Award as the one and only thing that I want or dream of in life, although I wouldn't turn one down. And it mm-hmm. looks like a fun party, but, you know, that's about all it is. Yeah. But those kinds of moments in life, those kinds of goals and aspirations you try for and Mm -hmm. they'll happen or they won't. And if they don't, you won't know because one day you'll just be gone. Yeah. Whoa, man. So this has been a really, I think, protracted way of trying to figure out what do you want to do for your birthday? Because last Let's year, break into Henry Cavill's house again. Yeah, uh, yeah. Last year, maybe he'll year, be there this time. Last year, you got a big birthday, oh, yeah. and I got to tell you, it's not going to be like that this year. Oh well, that was know. last year was a milestone year. It was his 60th birthday. I rented some hotel rooms at the Casa del Mar in Santa Monica. Absolutely gorgeous. The hotel Just did a great gorgeous. job. Love that. We hotel. had a big dinner at Shutters on the Beach. It was very la di da, as they say. Very fun. This year, it's going to be flapjacks in your kitchen. It's it's going to be Hamburger Helper. <laughs> hamburger Helper at Hamburger Mary. Do they still make Hamburger Helper? That's a good question. I wonder. Yeah. But, yeah, friends for dinner. Is, okay. Yeah, that's sure. fine. You know, like, it's the usual. Like, yeah, I wanted to make, because what makes an occasion, it's sort of like I always say, if you um, without the wrapping paper and the decorations, Christmas would just be a, a bunch of junk under a dead tree. Mm-hmm. Like you, you make the occasion. You you create yeah. it yourself, and we made that into an occasion because it was something I wanted to remember. I will always remember that mm-hmm. that's where I was and what I did for that particular birthday. But yeah, like this one can just be. I like to celebrate. I do believe in that, celebrating the day that I was born. It's the biggest thing that's ever happened. Should we talk about me. the disaster that was my 40th birthday dinner? Should we talk about what happened? I think that was really funny. I didn't think it was a disaster. It was still a lovely thought, evening, It was disaster it was really for you. adjacent. <laughs> so I didn't want to do anything because I was having a mood about being 40 and turning 40 and all the stuff we like just talked do. about. and benchmarks and milestones and expectations and so i thought okay what do i really love i love tall buildings with views i just love it i live in an apartment that has great views and i feel very blessed so and if i there's found a revolving restaurant on the top of them it's even better but the, you know those are less frequently found than they were back in the 80s yeah, was, when i first fell in love with them it seemed like every tall building in the 80s had a revolving restaurant oh, and piano bar on top it of it totally a thing it's not so much of a thing not anymore. so much anymore so but i found uh, there is, I think it's the tallest building in the downtown LA skyline now. It's they call it the Korean Airlines building, but that's not it. It's got the um, Intercontinental Hotel in it, but I think it's got a big sign for Korean Airlines on the side of it. Doesn't, I've never heard that. And in sure. the Intercontinental Hotel, which is on the topmost floors, there are some. There's a restaurant, a very nice restaurant, and they had a private dining room with a gorgeous view, which I booked. Well, that was like the first day. I'm going to say in three years that thunderous rain clouds moved in and it was it was to the point like we really thought oh it'll break up by the evening because that's how rain in LA always is it rains for like five minutes and then it's over right and everyone's like oh storm watch uh. um <laughs> it did not go away and when guests arrived in this dining room or uh, you were the one who arrived and your first thought was I when we walked in I thought I looked at the restaurant and I thought well I guess this is nice but What's with this cement wall? 
like all cement walls is what it looked like yeah. because that's how close in the fog that we were in the clouds. We were literally in the clouds. So you yeah. literally could not see anything. It was absolutely this solid gray mass. It was it was only after I really examined it that I realized, oh my God, those are the windows. Right. Yeah. It was um not my favorite thing. And so then throughout the meal, the clouds would start to part just a little bit, and everybody would get up out of their chairs and go to the window. Oh, I can race to the windows, and there'd be a building and maybe some traffic, and then the clouds would close again. And then, what the fuck happened? We all get up to leave, and the clouds finally part. Yeah. So yeah, expectations. But it was still a wonderful party. It was fun. It great was very group of fun. people, great yeah. food, lovely cake, great presents. Yeah. You got uh, the Vincent Van Gogh toy box of presents. I did. I think I still have the box. I think I saved the box. And um, yeah, no, it was great. And I did, a th- I did something. I didn't sit at home stewing in whatever my feelings where I actually went out I made a memory I did a thing and it's something you will always remember right. it was very funny I, yeah. I for my 40th birthday I went to a revolving restaurant at a hotel where my friend got the whatchamacallit set aside and then as part of the event they gave a complimentary um, hotel suite and mm-hmm. my friend took it <laughs> ah! didn't he sleep with somebody in uh-huh. it too he kicked you out oh, yeah. so that he could have sex with someone uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, and I got a ride home. You don't have you. You don't have those kind of friends anymore. This is a better friend. I this friend got you. Got you the biggest room at Casa Del Mar. Definitely yeah. an upgrade for. Uh, yeah, that was a long time ago. I did not that get kicked out life. and have to get a ride home that's after the dinner at my um, amazing at my sixtieth birthday. Yeah, that yeah. was still that's still a very funny story. Yeah, that I, I mean it was fine. I live in town, so it wasn't like a big deal. But it was like, wow, yeah. that's a choice. Yeah, it's important if you're throwing the birthday to remember that it is about the birthday person yeah i think i think i mean yeah. it's certainly going to be important to the birthday person they're going to remember if you shoved them out of the way and blew out the candles <laughs> on their cake you he blew out no oh i was like no. jesus the no, story was, gets worse and I worse was exaggerating one birthday that same person another friend had rented a limousine for mm-hmm. us for me for yeah. the birthday and i had to sit on one of the side benches because he took the spot in the in the back seat, the view seat in the back of yeah. the limousine. We we don't celebrate birthdays with this friend anymore. Excuse me. Because he left. Be, yeah. Like, nobody ran him off. He just yeah. left. It was like, oh, okay. Yeah. Showed up unexpectedly recently, briefly, and then took off again. Like, I, yeah, not a... Yeah, that friend threw me out of his house, too, but for, not, under a different circumstance. But but also somebody who did some really kind things for me. Yeah. It's, I, it's, people are weird. Like, it's... It's an odd thing to. I have very fond memories of many of the kindnesses that man showed me, but yeah, there were some moments that were like, really? So that's what you're going to do here? Yeah, throwing you out of the house was that was, was supposed to. Quite my boyfriend the, at the time and I were supposed to stay with him over a holiday weekend, and he decided that he didn't want us there anymore without cause because we were like, what did we do? What did they we, probably wanted to have a sex? They party. wanted to have a sex party, and so we were stuck in Palm Springs holiday traffic driving. It was really not one of my favorite things. Anyway. Um, now that I'm older, I've forgiven him. That's the topic. Sounds like it. No, I, I think that... Um, Sounds like you're completely over it. Yeah, nothing makes me angrier than being compelled to take, to enter a traffic jam that I plan to avoid. Like, you know, if I get caught, I get caught. But if somebody or something makes me enter the traffic... Forces me to yeah. drive in the bad traffic because of their whim. Totally. Yeah, that was that was an odd... There were a lot of... Moving parts, though, in that story. There are like, a lot of moving parts that, to that The person. boyfriend that you had in that time <laughs> may actually have caused you to get thrown out of that house. Because <laughs> he was the worst. <laughs> he was way worse than either of the other two people involved in this story. That's, that's true. So I can totally see him having done something yeah. shitty that caused you guys to get thrown out of that house. Uh, maybe he was so. one of the most awful people I have ever known. Maybe so. So delighted that you're not in a relationship I'm with really him. not. I'm not in a relationship with anyone you're except... Not a horrible relationship. God. No, I'm just kidding. Um, really? How's he doing? He's doing great. He snores. Oh. snores and steals the covers because, oh, well. you know, he created the well, universe. Well, he's God, so he can do pretty much whatever he wants to. I think the Although other... I think he could cure his snoring. I think the end of the story, though, that I brought up earlier, you know, is that 
when, and I don't know if we talked about this, I think when people want their single friends to be in relationships, what they are trying to do is include them, right? It's like, it's not a judgment. It is, I want you to share in this thing that has brought me happiness. I love this. Try this. It's like yeah. somebody try giving you something of their food, saying, right. here, try this. This is delicious. Right. It isn't because they think there's something wrong with what you ordered. Right. It's because they love what they're having and they want you to share it too because they care about you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Okay. So, wow, that was deep. Maybe deeper than we've ever yeah, gone I mean, here. Yeah, I thought that was going to be like party hats and stuff. No, Jesus, Jesus Christ. Christ, your favorite birthday Sorry, recipes. Guys. What snacks are you going to be eating on your birthday? Well, uh, lack of expectations and perspective and truth. That's what's on the delicious. menu for the birthday. Okay, so we are returning to True Crime TV Club next week. Not a minute too soon. Not a minute too soon. If you would like to watch the episode we're going to discuss ahead of time, you are more than welcome to, but we want to make clear this is not a requirement that we see our duty with True Crime TV Club. we very much go back through the whole episode. We break it down for you and we try, we're storytellers by trade, and so we try to tell the story in or we try to relate the story as the episode depicts it in all of its glory. And as we see it. The show we are sampling next week for the first time is the 1980s, The Deadliest Decade. The episode is The Cotton Club Murder. (laughs) Right? Uh, There are two seasons of this show available to stream, and this is in season two, and it is episode eight. Now, we have maintained somewhat of a correspondence with our international listeners because some of the shows... I have to say many of the shows that we cover are not available to them. Mm. So particularly in Australia, we have some party people and they uh, relate to us which platforms they are able to get certain shows on. We would really appreciate it if you are outside of the U.S., if you stay in touch with us through the Dinner Party Show's Facebook page and let us know what you are able to access and what you are not so that we can get a sense of what is available and where I don't know if I can go on a computer and be aware of what's available to stream in Australia because so I have making a our choices VPN you know, or whatever but, yeah, it's called. It, yeah, it might have an impact on making choices. Though that said, I don't think it will take away from your enjoyment of the experience of joining us next week if you just listen to us retell the story because we I'm, do our best to be. I think we're fairly entertaining, don't you think, party people? I, th- I think I think Christopher oh, and I, I do a pretty entertaining asked, yeah. job of of telling the story, even when it's not possible for everybody to watch. In fact, we're actually saving you time. It's sort of like the audiobooks of true crime television. Our podcast is about the same length as these episodes, so I don't know if we're saving them time. <laughs> it's not shorter to listen to us talk about the episode. We take as long to talk about it as they do to actually make the episode. Well, not make the episode. But we're more entertaining. But we are more entertaining, particularly when they're reenactments. I don't think there are reenactments in this one coming up. I'm not sure. I can't remember. This is. I've seen this series before, but I, you know, I'll be exploring this episode well, along we'll with you. We'll just see. So once again, the 1980s, The Deadliest Decade, Season 2, Episode 8. The episode title is The Cotton Club Murder. Until then, I'm Christopher Rice. And I'm Eric Shaw Quinn. And you've been listening to TDPS Presents Christopher. And Eric. Thanks. Happy birthday, Christopher. Happy birthday, Eric. Happy birthday, Eric.